Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. I had a listener message me and was asking specifically how some of the lesson only businesses were doing. And, you know, I, I kind of didn't know. I had a few guesses, a few things just from maybe conversations or things I've seen, but ended up determining that this would be a really fun episode to do to kind of catch up and see how things are going. Uh, the assumption is that over the last, you know, year and a half or whatever, that business was probably really rough. And then hope is that maybe things are turning around now. So did any of you not experience a rough pandemic in terms of your lesson business? Did anyone capture a secret sauce that held we your tried. program? We tried to put up our sales and, and find the wind and, you know, grow in new areas. We, uh, Will Mason, Mason, you know, Mason. focused, obviously we made a quick pivot to online lessons for all of our current students. And, um, you know, that was Thankfully, we had been preparing for it because we kind of saw some of the signs that it may be headed in that direction. And I maybe it was paranoia at the beginning. Like everybody on my team was like, we're not going to close and do online lessons. But I was sending surveys out like weeks in advance. Like, hey, if we had to close for like two weeks, would you be cool doing online lessons? Um, and I was like, are you serious? We're not going to do that. And then when it came time, it was like, oh my gosh, are you a prophet? Like, how did you know this was coming? I'm like, <laughs> I just, I worry about any time. I thought I had SARS back in 2001, you know, like I'm <laughs> just that guy. Um, so we did the online thing and I don't know about y'all, but you know, we charge kind of a monthly fee. And so for March, you know, we saw this happen because everybody had already paid for the month and they were like, yeah, we'll hang in there. Uh, and then April, we saw like a little bit of a stair step down and it was kind of the same thing. And then May, it was like, dung, and then June, mm -hmm. July. And by the summer, which summer for us is always slower for private lessons, um, we were down 40% from our peak in February. Uh, and we were strictly online and we made the decision to reopen in August and give people the option. You can either come in and do your lesson in person with all of the safety protocols in place that, you know, um, go along with the current public health guidance in our area, or you can stay online. And we started to slowly kind of see a little bit of an upward tick. And But what we tried to do, which was very unsuccessful, I have to admit, um, we invested heavily in like an online lessons landing page and started to promote virtual lessons from anywhere in the United States, you know, and um, we, we, cap we picked up a few students, a handful of people just from different places. Um, and some of them have stayed with us and actually we've done like virtual recitals and they played in the virtual recital, which was really cool. Um, but it certainly did not make any meaningful dent in the losses that we had in the in-person lessons locally. So uh, it was a swing and a, and a miss, but it also we learned a lot through the process. So I'm always grateful for those opportunities. And it's a, you know, a potential thing that's is there now. So Michael Cathria, Resonate Music. Ours is pretty similar in the sense that, yeah, I started reading about it in the dark depths of Twitter, uh, I think in January about COVID and same thing. We met as a, we met as a management team in, in February and we're talking about it. And it was the same sort of thing like, ah, uh, 
I'm not too worried. I was telling them, you know, go go to the grocery stores, go start stocking up on your toilet paper and, uh, <laughs> and all that because uh, people are going to lose their minds and this stuff's going to be hard to find. So yeah, we did all of our disaster shopping and everything really early. And then same thing, I kind of planned to go online, didn't really survey anybody just because I felt like, well, they're not going to have the choice per se. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to, this is coming <clears throat> one way or another. And then, yeah, it was mid-March that we ended up closing same sort of thing. We go month to month and we found just majority of people wanted to stay and try online, but there was a large chunk that same thing. They either weren't equipped to do online, which was really surprising to me to see how many people just either didn't have a stable internet connection, didn't have reliable devices. And then at the same time, the conflict was schools moving online and competing with that. And uh, if they had multiple kids in the family that were, say, prior to always taking their lessons at the same time, but they only had one computer, one iPad. So at a, with a large roster of students that created a, a whole mess of, uh, of rescheduling and things like that. So it took us to probably, you know, we moved everybody over in the period of a week just before they had called the shutdown, at least in our city. You know, it was like a month of supporting technical issues. And every time there was a technical issue, we would make sure that we paid the teacher and gave the student a makeup lesson just, you know, to kind of boost that customer service a little bit. But it was an extra hit that couldn't afford to take anyways. So so that was tough. And then, uh, yeah, same sort of thing. We were we were allowed to reopen in mid-May. We waited until July 1st again, just to kind of see how things played out, got everything in place as far as what our protocols were going to be, trying to go above and beyond whatever the government was recommending. And fortunately, we've had just a whole mess of, you know, up and downs, obviously, and new restrictions and semi-lockdowns and it constantly changing. We're in the midst of one of our biggest ones right now. And just last week, we were finally caught up in the new wave of restrictions to have to close again. Um, Mm -hmm. So we had returned to in-person in mid-July, and we only had a few teachers come back. Basically, what we did is we said, everybody, you can have the option, essentially. We're going to try to create the most safe and secure space that we can, both online and in-person, and you decide. Staff, you decide if you want to come back. Students, you decide if you want to come back. We'll support you either way. And, you know, we had a handful of teachers that came back, but a very small amount of them. Most of them stayed online whether they have their own personal situations. And that was the thing too, is we met with every teacher individually. It was like 50 hours of meetings to find out what everybody's personal situation was to get a sense of where they were at. Did they have any immune compromised issues? Did they live with somebody who was elderly? Were they gung-ho to return? Um, And letting that sort of direct our strategy too. So the plus side was that everybody who came back, we had no issues. So for the last almost near a year, we didn't have a single incident surrounding COVID. Not one student, not one staff member got it. So we've been keeping everybody safe. And our reward for that is we got swept up in the latest uh, restrictions and we just had to move everybody back online. We had just relaunched group lessons too. Uh, we were two weeks in, had to cancel those. Those were on hold for a year and then they were right back uh, online again. So it's we're, it's definitely we're at a frustrating point. Um, I recently, I don't know if you guys saw on Facebook there, but I've taken a picture. There's a Home Depot across the street from us. And there must have been 500 cars in that parking lot, at least. It was packed. And then, you know, I took a picture of ours and it's just desolate. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's getting to the point where, you know, we're getting pretty caught up in it. It's getting pretty frustrating. We're hoping that in the next two, three weeks, we'll be be able to be back open. But uh same thing. It's a, we're in a situation where the majority of the demand is still in person. Most of the market, at least in our area, wants in person. They don't want online. As soon as schools went online, kids were exhausted from it. You know, that's, that's the direction they want to go. So we've never been in a situation where we've had so much supply. I've never had so many available spots ever in the history of our company and a wait list that's pushing 
I don't know, maybe 300 people at this point that want in person and I can't put them together. Meanwhile, you're just, you know, bleeding cash. So it's a, it's a very frustrating kind of like helpless place to be able your hands feel like you're tied. If you try to do anything with it, you're just going to end up getting fined or shut down or something. So um, anyways. In your uh, city, are your hospitals overrun? Like any sense of why the government is uh, being so restrictive? Yeah, they're, they were basing it off of hospitalizations. Um, we're not over capacity. I think we're like at 50% as far as our ICUs go, but we're, we don't have the same sort of um, amount of medical equipment and resources that a lot of areas in the States do. That's when the other issue is like our vaccine program, although it is catching up now, which is good. They just now anybody over 12, I think in Alberta can, can get the vaccine regardless of where you sit on the vaccine position. But now our recovery is based on a hospitalization numbers and a vaccination rate. So what percentage of our population has vaccine? So they just made that change too, which again is slightly frustrating because up until this point, it's been entirely based on hospitalizations and now it's based on adoption of the vaccine. So, um, but those are cranking up and we'll see how this summer goes. Kimberly and Robin, how about you all? You want me to go Kimberly? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kimberly's over it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, you know, it's a wild, wild west out here. And when everything was shutting down, of course, everybody was just on hold. We got a whole slew of cancellations. That was no surprise. Uh, and then Kimberly and I went online for a couple of months to teach. And that was so hard. We had a little well, bit. We only, we only do group lessons. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> we moved everybody over to 30 minute private lessons, mm. which, you know, we normally have six in a class. So an hour long class, you know, of six kids is now a three hour private lesson, <laughs> mm-hmm. three hours worth of private lessons. So, and it was me and Robin and one other teacher that were doing it, it was miserable, to be honest with you. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was ready to quit. <laughs> Not really, but it was bad. It was hard. It was difficult. Go ahead. Yeah, it was. Um, so as far as like the population of the kids, you know, we had a drop when we went online and then after two months, we went back to group in person. And when we went back to in person, we experienced our biggest drop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know what happened there, but I think, you know, some people, and some people were just holding, they were just waiting to see when things would start up again. So they kept their tuition going and they didn't want to, um, cancel it or lose their spot. Or I think they were just holding out. They were just being very hopeful. So right yeah, now, we had a lot of people offering to just pay and not come, which was cool, just to support us. Which right. was wow. Oh, it was we allow the the makeup. We allow the we have a flexible makeup policy, so they, and we're like, you can have all your makeups, and and we gave them lots of incentives to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> we gave them all the kids that were learning. We gave them a, a certificate, you know, just a certificate signed by everybody at the studio with the big seal that said you know, uh, something about surviving with music education in a global pandemic award. (laughs) But right now we've kind of plateaued. We've been back in person teaching since June 1st, June, 2020. Um, And one of the benefits um, of the store is that, well, Robin sort of found a loophole. We were deemed essential because we repaired instruments. So for the schools. And so we were able to kind of stay open on a loophole and mm-hmm. kind of just flew under the radar. 
basically said, we're not doing online anymore because it's very, it's lackluster, right? I mean, it's not that we're, I don't know. I didn't, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't physically do it anymore. My back was killing me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sitting for nine hours a day without a break. Yeah. So luckily we were able to reopen and, you know, the people that wanted to come back did, you know, and the people that didn't, didn't, I mean, we made all the, you know, the adjustments to all the safety protocols and everything like that. But ultimately I think people were just traumatized psychologically. I mean, you nailed it there. I feel like it's the, you're battling with the rhetoric of the media and what they're implanting in people. And it's at a scale that you could never compete as far as marketing goes. And that's, I think the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles is that so many business owners had to become health professionals. We were sort of, we were responsible for everybody's well-being to a level that was never expected before, scrambling at whatever information was giving to us and then battling against whatever rhetoric is being pumped out by the media, which was always in some sort of fear marketing uh, And it's frame. changing daily and it changes every yeah. day. It's so. crazy. Well, yeah, and we we can't can't, I don't know if y'all had this experience, but we have the, the extremes, right? And we live in Alabama, so... Yeah, there's just a lot of there, there's a lot of I was gonna say political say less. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um there are people on both sides of the fence on any issue. And I think that's true mm-hmm. of anywhere in, in any country, anywhere that's politicized and that has a you know, media like you're talking about, Michael, where it's incentivized by sensationalism and trying to get views and keep people's attention. And so whatever policy we came up with wasn't gonna satisfy everybody, of course. And so if we said Hey, we're going to reopen for in-person lessons. All the people on one side of the issue are like, yes, we're coming back in. This whole thing's a hoax and we're so glad to be back. And then we say, we're going to ask you to wear a mask and get a temperature check. And we're going to have shields up in the voice lesson rooms. And they're like, no, we're not. I'm not sending my child there with a mask on. So we're actually going to quit lessons now. And you let us know when you're done with all of that. And we'll be back in person when you don't require my child to wear a mask. And so we're like, yeah. Okay. And then on the other side, we have people who are going, wait, what? You're letting people in your buildings at all? No, we don't, we don't approve of this. And so it was a very delicate dance. And we fortunately had a couple of parents who were in the medical industry. We had one immunologist and one like virologist. And anyway, we like got on the phone with these people. Cause when we were sending, we sent so many surveys out y'all um, to our students and asking like, Hey, we're considering this option. You know, what is your feedback? What's your level of comfort? What would it take for you to be comfortable coming back? If we stay online, would you, which of the following is most likely, Hey, we'll stick with you for another month. We'll stick with you for three more months. We're in it for the long haul. We'll do what you need. And so we just try to keep our pulse on, you know, a thousand people or how well, wasn't that many by the end of it, but to figure out what's going on. And in that process, we had a couple of doctors and, and their wives step forward and say, Hey, my husband is an immunologist. He'd love to talk to you about this. Do you want to hop on the phone? Like, yes, please. You know, and of course they come at it from a public health standpoint, which is going to be different than a business owner's perspective. And so in their mind, their number one aim is to end the pandemic. Right. And our number one aim is to survive, you know, like as a business Mm -hmm. and make sure that we're going to be here when this is over to continue offering the service and pursuing our mission. And so there were times when it didn't all line up. It's like, well, we don't think you should have anything you know, in person, we're like, well, okay, but if we're going to do it in person, what's the safest way to do it? And so it really was an exercise in like trying to be empathetic with everybody, wherever they're coming from and understanding that even if I have a completely different perspective on this, we can agree that music is important and maybe we can come up with a solution that works for both sides for most people. And then, you know, the outliers, 
we're going to put you know our decision in place and, and then you make your decision so if this doesn't work for you that's okay we love you we hope you come back when we're able to satisfy your demands but for the time being like we just can't we just can't do that because we don't think it's in the best interest of our other staff and students and whatever else so uh, i feel like this situation was exacerbated so just so for the record our experience at springfield music basically mirrors all of yours so <laughs> but the situation was exacerbated through completely ineffectual national leadership uh, that then trickled down to the local level because we couldn't have a unified government saying like, hey, we're just going to follow the science. What does the science, latest science say we should do this? All right, this is what we want everyone to do. At, at the top level, we had opposing parties, not for any scientific reasons, purely for political reasons, vying against each other, which then filtered down to the local governmental level, like state and then city governmental level, which then filtered down to individual people. And it made the whole thing an even bigger shit show than it needed to be. Whereas if we could have just said like, hey, uh, this is a health issue. So therefore, we're just following what the latest science recommendations are. And let's let's buckle down and get this thing over with. This could have been a lot uh, had a lot less turmoil. So that's because the U.S. is just a total mess right now. Michael, how was it in Canada? Were you getting a more consistent message from the top down um, <laughs> from leadership or is it also the same crazy mess there that it is here? Yeah, I, th I think in a time when truth was probably more important and more useful than it's ever been, politicians of the world were uniquely unqualified for the job. <laughs> regardless of where you go, what country or what borders well you said. go to. There's well may, yeah, it's not, it's not an area of expertise for them. It's unfortunate that it got politicized so quickly because that's when it all went to the, in the toilet anyways. That's, um, such, that's so amazing because you know that basically someone sent them a report and said, all right, just, just read this report. And they're like, all right, so how do you want me to spin it? Like, what do you want me to cover up? Like, don't cover up, just read it straight down. All right, so what do you want me to admit something? Like, you want, where do you want me to emphasize? Like, don't emphasize it. Just read it word for word. Just plain. Yeah. Like, all right. So I think here's what I'm going to do. I think <laughs> they just can't yeah. play straight, can they? <laughs> no, no. And an it's, uh, Was it an election year for you too, Michael? No, I think it's, it's coming up a one soon. So, of course, that's playing into their strategies and whatnot as well. But to be fair, I don't think, like, I don't lean one way or the other. I think they're, for the most part, um, all equally inadequate when it comes to things like this. So, I mean, we have a conservative provincial government. We have a liberal federal government. Our neighbors next door in BC have an NDP government, New Democratic Party. And I don't think anybody is excited about any of the jobs that they've been doing. One area that it seems like maybe, like generally we've done a, maybe a little bit better job than the US was with subsidies, you know, as far as payments out to people, payments out to businesses, things like that, loans being accessible, um, we there is a wage subsidy and a rent subsidy now that we can collect. Now, those things are always bittersweet because you know you're going to pay for them. We're pr we're printing money at a, you know just as fast the rate as you guys are, and I mean that is going to beget inflation, and my kids' kids are going to pay for it. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, in the short term, I'm glad the subsidy check is coming in because otherwise we couldn't cover the rent. But uh, at the same time, I know I'm going to pay for this, you know, in, uh, in a few years from now or, you know, even shorter term than that. So, yeah, I, it's, it's kind of been it's kind of been all over the place. I mean, I'm not 
saying this from a position as if I know what the solution was. I don't envy anybody in a public position or anyone in authority position, really, because I think you're there. Everybody was kind of handed a, a pretty bad hand, and it was uh, the system was not set up to to take this on. And I think COVID showed us where a lot of our fragilities are, whether it's in our physical health and mental health, financial health. There's a lot of teachings from this and a lot of things to learn. My worry now is not that we did a bad job. I think that's pretty evident. We didn't handle it well. Um, but my worry now is that we're not going to learn from it. And uh, I think politicians have just generally dug themselves too deep of a hole that admitting that we did anything wrong and changing course, it's far too late for that. Um, so they're just going to keep digging you know, and that's just the way it's it's going to go. And that's how we feel like it is here. You know, they're pushing every bit of mandates that they've had over the last year that have only sent cases skyrocketing. We're in a far worse place than we were a year ago, with the exception of vaccines now available. But yet we're still doing the exact same things, exact same practices. So I think Generally, last year, our sentiment was, hey, let's let's ease up. Let's be careful. We don't know what this thing is. And to some degree, we still there's still unknowns about it being how new it is. Um, but we wanted to be extra, extra cautious. And everyone was kind of of that same mindset. And now I would say more of the general mindset is like impatience, frustration. Like I said, people not even wanting to bother with things like online anymore. You know, they just there's nothing available to them. They want to grab it the first thing that they can. So it's, it's tough. I know our, our recovery is literally just sitting there in the balance you know, yeah. uh, for a lot, for a lot of us. And that's a, that's a tough position to be in. Um, and will we make it out? I don't know. Like, I don't think it's, uh, d- decided yet, at least not, and not up here. So a lot of, and our vaccine program, like is going to take most likely the rest of this year. And what Canada is doing is in the States, you guys are getting your two shots within the th- recommended three weeks. Uh, since we don't produce any of the vaccines here, we do have a couple who are trying to produce, but they haven't gotten approval yet, is uh, we're going four months between doses. So there's no data on what the efficacy of that is, uh, but that's what we're doing to try to get everybody with one shot first. So that is, again, stretching out for, uh, going to stretch out for quite some time. So yeah, that's sort of the situation with us anyways. It would be nice if we could just give you all the shots that people aren't wanting to take from America. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's where we're getting all of our shots or we're, you know, buying them up. But uh, yeah, did we make a good enough deal to get them soon enough? You know, and why were our federal borders still open, but our, now our provincials closed? Like it's, it's really, really tough, you know, and I just, uh, yeah, it just is a situation that you're in. So I think best case you can do when you screw something like that up is try to learn from it, change course. But again, that's not the business that they're in. Right. Yeah, you hope with that. Uh, We've mentioned vaccines a couple of times. How are you all handling vaccine adoption with your staff? Right now, we haven't taken a position on it. I don't know that I plan on it. I'm not going, I'm very likely not going to require teachers or staff or students to have a vaccine to come back uh, to in-person. I'm sort of like in most subjects of the position of free choice, so it's kind of like, you know, if you want to get it, great. If you don't, that's not my business. Um, we all have the protocols here to be safe, whether you've, you know, contracted it or you haven't or you've gotten the vaccine. Like we've sort of shown over the last years that all the protocols in place that we had kept people safe because we didn't have a single incident. So, I mean, that's the most relevant data to me in our operations. So the willingness to like take the vaccine seems to be very high here. Um, we're in a fairly, although we're in a, fairly conservative province we're in a much more liberal city 
in particular, and a lot more people that there, I think adoption generally the vaccines has maybe been a little bit stronger on the left than it has um, on the right again, because unfortunately it had to get politicized, shouldn't have been, but that's the way it is. Um, so from what I've seen, like a lot of staff have already been getting it, you know, posting on Facebook that they've received it, students and that too. So I don't know that we necessarily need to get involved. I feel like it might be a little bit risky from a PR standpoint uh, to get into that mix. But uh, I mean, I think it's going to be different for everybody's sort of jurisdiction. So as of right now, we're not really taking a, a stance on it. We're just kind of letting people do what they do. And we focus on what we do. For us here in California, we've taken the the position that legally we cannot ask for it. We're kind of following what the schools are doing. We're also following what other bigger businesses are doing. And we have to take in consideration HIPAA, privacy concerns, forgery concerns, and balance that all out together. Can you tell she's a lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) We're kind of in the same boat. Uh, I don't plan on requiring anybody to get it or prove to me that they've had it or anything like that. And we've been having conversations starting last Friday when, or I guess Thursday was the announcement of the mask, you know, if you're the the CDC guidance changing. And so we started reassessing, okay, we know at some point in the future, we've known this forever. Like, well, this isn't going to be forever. So when is the right time to kind of relax some of those restrictions? Because where we are, the public sentiment is, becoming more and more majority are saying, Hey, this is over. We don't want to wear masks anymore. We don't want our kids to have to wear masks everywhere they go. You know, it's summer, like everybody's just over it. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to decide if we are going to ease mask restriction kind of where we've landed. We haven't even announced it yet. We surveyed our teachers, we got their input on it. But you know, the interesting thing that we found is our teachers who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated are the ones who are the most concerned about, not requiring other people to wear masks, which to me is, it means that they don't trust the vaccine or that they're just, there's still a lot of anxiety, just residual pandemic fatigue, anxiety. Like I, you know, I've done all that I can to protect myself, you know, and and I, I just, I just need to feel safe, you know, and that's where people are coming from. And so while rationally, I can try to sit there and reason with somebody and say, Hey, 96% efficacy, like you're not going to get this. Plus it's kids under 12. They were never as, prone to getting it or spreading it anyway like the likelihood is just so so low mm-hmm. but it's just not gonna make a difference you know the information is not gonna change their mind it's just experience over time like taking those baby steps towards normalcy but we're not gonna require vaccines and what we're proposing is kind of like a mask mirror policy so if a, if a student walks in with a mask on and they feel more comfortable with a mask we're gonna ask our teachers to wear a mask for that lesson and the other other way around, if a if a teacher is like, hey, I need all my students to wear masks, we'll communicate that to their their students and say, hey, you know, for now, your teacher is still going to require masks in their lesson rooms. But for anybody who comes together and they say, hey, I'm good without a mask, you're good without a mask. Okay, we can we can take our masks off, regardless of if you've had the vaccine or not. We're just not going to get into that um, because yeah. I think I'm with you. Like that's a personal health issue at that point, and that's the privacy. Like. I had reservations. I got the vaccine and I had reservations about it. And um, not just because I hate needles, although I did pass out on the floor of the CVS. Um, Wow. You do hate needles. (laughs) It is a real thing. And it's like, it's a physiological thing that I can't help, but I also know it's coming. So then it becomes a mental thing on top. So 
Yeah, it's not good. But anyway, I, I get it. Like I had some reservations. I'm like, yeah, this is new. This is experimental. It doesn't have like 10 year trials. We don't know, you know, so I understand those reservations. And so I'm not going to make somebody get the vaccine. What we're dealing here with is, is uh, we have a whole segment of, of the population that will never, ever, ever feel safe and that will always be fearful. And, and we, you know, and just going back to what you were saying earlier, well, about you know, having to try and please this group and that group, you know, we, we just kind of decided to take a stance and we're just going to be right here. And our decision is, is we're following what the schools are doing because we can't keep up with all of the guidelines, right? So right. one of the guidelines they had for a while was put up the plexiglass stuff, right? And we had it all up. And then one, one time it, it was gone because somebody else was using it and a parent flipped out. Well, then the next week, the, the CDC said, oh, no, those cause cancer. Take them down. And so then the schools all took them down and, and we took them down and people were like, where are they? Where are they? And we said, we are following the schools. The schools are following the CDC guidelines and that's what we're doing. But if you go shopping anywhere else, like Michael was saying, you know, go, looking at Home Depot across the street, everybody still has the plexiglass up. And I just kind of want to say, yeah, knock on it and say, CDC says, no, this is not working. But, you know, everybody's everybody's following all sorts of different guidelines that have been issued at all different times. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've always been one to, to follow the schools because we do teach group lessons. We follow their school schedule. We somewhat follow their holiday schedule. Um, and so in this instance, we just followed what they were doing when they started, when their school's teaching in person, we're going to start teaching in person. Schools say, have the masks and wear the masks. We've had to all kind of live in two worlds. There's like the world of reality and then the world of perception, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, we're going to do these things because it's perceived to be safe, like a temperature check. I never thought that that was going to be a relevant or helpful thing. Those scanner things are so inconsistent and, you know, so many people were asymptomatic and, you know, the transmission, your highest transmissibility was the day before or the two days before you had any symptoms. So, okay, we might, and, and we rationalized it this way. Okay, we might catch 3% of all, the whatever, who knows what the percentage is. We might catch some cases. I think we had one student ever who walked in and we scanned them and they were high enough that we said, I'm sorry, we can't, you know, you can't have less than a day. But the signal to our customer base was, Hey, we're taking this seriously and we're going to do everything we can to keep you safe. And so that was like a perception thing. And this is what other people are doing. And we're trying to go along with that. And then we also have the reality that we don't really know how effective that is. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. It is a weird thing. It was like, how much of this are we doing because we truly believe it works or because we're just appeasing the market and the general rhetoric that is out there. And that's why it was kind of easiest to be like, well, do everything and, and over and above. So you can just like, we tried to take that position super early and be like, put air filters in the room and yeah. all sorts of stuff and be like, whatever they're going to require us that I could like imagine it might require us to do over the next year as things inevitably get worse because we've had like 40 cases in our entire city when we reopened and, you know, now it's like 2000 a day. Um, so we did that early on so that we didn't have to kind of change as it went. So it didn't look like we were playing catch up at any time. We're like, no, we're good. We did what we, what we needed to do, but knowing what works and what doesn't is like you said, it's a total crap shoot. You've got no idea. The inconsistencies are everywhere. The data is flawed constantly where you go. Like for example, here you could sing in church, but you couldn't sing for entertainment. And I mean, I have nothing against people, obviously, 
who practice any sort of faith-based religion or go to church, no position there. But do you think the virus knows when it's being sung to God and not, and that's when it decides when it's contagious or not? You know what I mean? So it was just the the logic would break down if you took it from where it was applied to one situation and moved it elsewhere. We've kind of taken the same stance that uh, Robin took. We just decided we're going to sort of pick what ordinance we're going to follow, which is basically CDC and our local state and city, and we watch the schools. Like that's kind of, and so we're just kind of following that, that path, which makes it really simple. Will, when you first started talking about surveying your customers, like, well, that's kind of interesting. And then the more you talked about it, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a nightmare. Like, I don't think I could possibly make a decision that way. I, It's just easier to outsource the decision-making to some other entity and then just say, I'm just following this. Like, it's the most reasonable thing to do. It's yeah. not based on other people's opinions. Like, yeah. you know, and, and most, at least in our area, you know, being here in Missouri and Kansas, the vast majority of our customers uh, treated us with grace and uh, like, the, all right, well, that's what you're doing. That's that's fair. We did get more one-star reviews uh, during the last 12 months than we've ever gotten before. And always because of the mask, like always because of that. And we weren't confrontational about it, but just, you know, asking people to, to wear it or whatever. And like, you know, we just get those, uh, assholes basically that like even though it's it's not our opinion we're just following our city ordinances uh you know they would go out and leave a one-star review but at the same time we'd gotten more five-star reviews than we've ever gotten before and some of that is a service that we're using to help get those but uh uh, still so overall like it's better but it's just super frustrating when those come in and gives you a chance to test your patience and you know, show the public how you can handle confrontation with class and, and or sometimes humor and, you know, yeah. just try to be dignified about it, which is sometimes difficult. So are is anyone not going to follow or going to continue these guidelines? So if you're like, if your local municipality says, all right, masks are not required, is anyone going to not follow that and keep doing masks? Or are you generally going to follow whatever guidance comes from your city? Well, we have, uh, we, we're already in that boat. Um, we haven't had a mask ordinance for a while in Birmingham uh, or in, well, Birmingham city does, but we're in the suburbs in all of our locations. And so none of our places have had an ordinance, but we have maintained most of our protocols. Uh, we closed our lobbies so we didn't let people congregate and like wait for their children. And we had a sign up on the window with a phone number and they would text when they arrived and we would let them in one at a time so that we didn't have, you know, the three o'clock and three thirty and the four o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. 20 people crossing paths and sharing spaces and air. And so we did, uh, gosh, when was that? Uh, I don't know what month it is anymore. Y'all March, maybe we did that. We lifted that and we said, Hey, we're going to reopen our lobbies. So you don't have to text anymore when you come, just, you can come in and sit down. That's fine. But we still want you to wear a mask, even though that's not the policy. Cause you know, what we're doing is by definition, close contact. You were in a room in a, a 10 by 10 square with somebody for 30 minutes. And so, sorry, it's different than being in a restaurant sitting outside. So we're going to ask you to keep wearing a mask for now. And people have been fine with it. The people who have been coming, they know what to expect. They're they're kind of in the routine. Um, we're, we'll, we'll just give people, the I think, the, the choice. If they drop the mask mandate, we still have ours. And I imagine our mask mandate is going to stick for most of this year. Uh, unfortunately, there's no sign that it's going to be taken away uh, anytime soon, just because of the speed of our vaccination program and the amount of cases that we still do have here, because um, we've just been doing these semi lockdowns that just kind of uh, 
prolong the inevitable, if anything. So as long as it's mandated, we have to have them in, uh, which is what it currently is. And if they lift that mandate, then we'll lift it and say, you know, it's up to you. You know, like we're never going to get rid of online at this point. Like there has been a lot of value to having it, especially for us normally doing well, we still do unlimited makeup lessons for private lessons, but a lot of those reasons sometimes where I don't have a ride in today or I'm feeling kind of under weather or whatever it is, well, now they can just do that lesson online. And the way we sort of had it is even those who have come back to in-person, they can decide on a week-to-week basis whether they want to do an in-person or an online lesson. Uh, so they're never fixed to one or the other, both from the teacher or the students, um, which is great. So, I mean, same thing with the teacher. They're feeling kind of under the weather. Stay home and do all your lessons online that day. So we've actually seen that we've had a lot less rescheduling, a lot less general just like cancellations of a, of a lesson and having to do a makeup. So we'll, it's here to stay, uh, but I would just like it to be a supplement. And right now it's all of it. So. It would be um, a wonderful silver lining if this online component is a supplement to our lesson programs. Um, you know, I think probably like a lot of folks, it was something we had desired to do for a couple of years. Um, I remember mm-hmm. going to a, a NAM session that Mike and Miriam Risco did and, and watching that and thinking, that's a smart idea. Like we should do that, but we could never like kind of get it on our radar to do it. And, you know, it's just kind of, it always seemed like a heavy lift. Of course, this came down and we did it in 48 hours, which <laughs> showed that, you know, if you're properly motivated, like uh, things things are not as uh, difficult as what you might <laughs> what you might oh, think. Oh yeah, it's gonna say hell of a way to try out a new service at scale. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't want to ever test something out in this way ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it was just, a huge opportunity for us as a like as a team to come together yeah. and rally around something because it literally was like all of our collective survival was at risk, was at yeah. stake. And so, you know, normally if you have an initiative that you're trying to get feedback on or you're trying to roll out, you send an email to the team, you start having conversations, like 10 people out of 60 read it and nobody responds. And you're like, well, I I don't know. I guess it wasn't a good idea or, you know, we just need to keep chipping away at, you know, getting buy-in. And this was like, okay, we need your Zoom IDs. We need everybody. Here's the steps. You sign up for Zoom right now. You send us your Zoom idea. We're putting it in our staff contact sheet. And we're emailing all of your students over the weekend to say, here's the instructions for them. We're building it all out. And like you said, Donovan, it's a heavy lift, but it wasn't for us. It wasn't like a top down, like, hey, our executive team and management team are going to do all the work. It was like every, like all hands on deck. Everybody's got to do their part immediately so that we can pivot and gosh, I'm so sick of that word, but have lessons online starting on Monday because it's coming right now. We're done. Like schools called it on Friday and we had already made the call. We were like, Hey, I think this is happening. Go ahead and plan on doing online lessons on Monday. And when you have that kind of thing, it's a huge opportunity for the team to feel like, Hey, we all have each other's backs. And that was the thing for us with the surveys. It was like, it was more work for sure on the front end to, to get everybody's input. But what ended up being true for us on the back end was all of our students and teachers felt like we had listened to them. You know, they felt heard. And we also knew what was what their biggest concerns were. And so we were able to address those in a proactive manner instead of reactive manner. And so we were able to say, hey, we understand from our survey results, you know, here's where everybody is. And the majority of you guys are thinking about this. And here's the things that we need to put into place that maybe may or may not be the same things that the schools are wanting to do. Um, so it kind of became a customized, like, Hey, we're going to kind of pave our own road here. That's going to work for Mason music. And it benefited us greatly because the, the community that we have really appreciated being listened to. And like we, one of the things we said from the get go is once when we reopen 
if we know about a case, first of all, if, if a student gets COVID and finds out about it after they've had a lesson, we're going to ask you to tell us, you know, and that's on the honor system. But we want to know because we want to be able to tell your teacher, hey, you need to be online until you can get tested or whatever. And you know what? We're going to do the same thing for you guys. If one of our staff members test positive, we're going to tell you. And we just made that our policy. And when it happened, and it did a number of times, we only had one case that we actually could say, like, you got this probably from your coworker, you know, like, cause you work at the same desk. And even though we had different phones and we wiped everything down in between and we did all the things and you were both wearing masks and blah, blah, blah. Like it's probably still where you got it. But we, we actually told people, you know, we, we emailed anytime a teacher came down with it, we would email their students and say, Hey, we're just letting you know, you know, your teacher had this. And if you want to get tested, you know, now would be the time. And the thanks that we received in response, they were so overwhelmingly thankful. They're like, nobody, our school isn't giving us this kind of transparency. We don't mm -hmm. know what's going on. They aren't telling us anything. And so they just really appreciated the like connection that we had. And I think that was for the people who did stay, that was really, really important for them to know that they could try it built trust, you know, which is something we always talk about. Like, how do we build trust in the sales pipeline? It's like, no, we actually, it was hard. And, um, but I think, the way I described it to our team, I was like, look, if we if we um, envision our business as like this fire, it's like we're constantly having to throw some more logs on the fire and stoke it. And we're trying to build it and you know create more heat and energy like this is a time when it's dying down a little bit and it's, it's raining. You know, it's getting smaller or whatever, but we've got to protect those embers. We've got to find the, the customers and the teachers who really are bought in and they're going to stay warm. We've got to protect that. And then when it's time, we can start blowing on those embers and putting some more logs back on and reopen this thing. But we have to really take care of those people who are committed to what our mission is and understand the value of what we're doing. And one of the things we did early on was like probably like May or June of last year when it was really rough is we, we made like a thank you video for all of our customers that were still stayed with us and they were doing online. And we had all, I mean, not all of our staff, but most of our staff, more than half, send in just like a five second clip on their phone of them saying like, Hey, thank you so much. And we just That's edited cool. it all together with some music in the background. And I kind of opened and closed it and just gave a little message. And it was like powerful. Like I watched it and I teared up. I was like, Oh my gosh, we're really doing this. Like we're doing this. We're actually like keeping these people connected and keeping our teachers employed during a global pandemic and keeping our students having something normal to do every week when everything else in their life is upside down and unpredictable and they don't know what's going to happen. And are we going to be okay? And it's like, yeah, we don't know. But on Thursday at three o'clock, you can have an online lesson with your teacher and, and right. you know, and laugh. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I hope that does something awesome. for you. We've sort of done the opposite. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I was just going to say, I was thinking, and Kimberly and I like, like what each other's thinking. And, and, and we were just going to say, you guys are so much nicer than we are. Okay. <laughs> more communicative because we've sort of taken, we, we haven't done a single survey. We've done the whole, sort of less is more approach. One of the things is we did set up our strict protocols when we, we first got back. And then what we did is we, like initially, like our group classes used to allow six. So we started with three. And then after like, and we haven't had a single case, not a single student we case. Not a single case. Yeah. And so like after a couple of months, we started adding, you know, an extra kid in the class. And then, I mean, we're running it. Full, 
we didn't tell anybody because the minute you put that out there, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get people that love it and the people that hate it. Right. But if you yep. sort of gradually just slide into it, right. I, it's taken a year and we're full, we're full capacity again in our classes, but it, it was never a formal announcement. Like we closed our lobby. Well, people are waiting in our lobby again, but we never made the announcement. We were making students come in one at a time. They lined up outside, you know, in between classes and what, you know, and we were spacing everybody out. We sort of just started letting them come in again and we haven't had any complaints. So I think there's been this sort of renaissance for people wanting things to go back to normal, you know, and like we get the phone calls regularly. Uh, are you guys open for in-person lessons? We don't want to do online. We want in-person. My kid can't possibly do another thing online. We hate online. So um, that and our mask mandate in California is going to be lifted on June 15th is when our governor is uh, the, allowing the people have decided before then. So, we're, <laughs> you know, we have to balance with what what the guidelines are and and what the general population is doing also. Because mm-hmm. it, it Like you were saying, you know, you get you, like Donovan, you got bad reviews, you know, a one star thing. You should really get a little award that says I survived one star reviews during a global pandemic. I'll send it <laughs> a little sticker on there, okay? Um, because because even if you're following everything, if if you get the social backlash, you're you're having to deal with all of that fallout. So, you know, and here we're we're just following the group, the masses, I guess. I don't think we intend on, yeah, once it's fully lifted, I don't think our, I will allow people to choose. Yeah. So I'm a proponent of, of choice. So this, this gradual changing back to the way things were, we actually kind of learned from our government when they said, we're just going to shut down for two weeks. <laughs> okay. So it's really kind of our version of just the tip, you know? <laughs> Here we go. oh gosh that's good Uh, yeah so takeaway from that is i think your businesses are an extension of yourself and your personality and how you handle it's how you handle it and and, people uh, pleaser yeah yeah well i'm I'm a people pleaser to some degree too but i'm a lot like robin and kimberly where i'm just like you know what i think this is going to stir a lot less shit if we just do it this way you know and Mm -hmm. we'll just deal with the issues one by one and it it worked out uh well for us not to say that's the way everyone should do it i think you have to kind of be authentic to yourself, to what you're comfortable with. Certainly if I was the type of person that felt very uncomfortable, just making a decision and going with it without like testing the waters and testing and surveying, I probably wouldn't be able to pull it off, but because I'm very comfortable, just kind of not not to say wing it, but kind of winging it. Like I'll make a decision. I'm going to run with this. Like I can, I can just get my, get my way through that probably better than other folks can. And so I think you have to do what you're comfortable with. So the next thing I want to ask you is, we sometimes hear that people use the phrase new normal and I've been very pleased with myself because when I hear them say that I don't punch them in the face, which is what I want to do, but we're all remote. So you're safe from any kind of physical outlash from me, but do you, what, maybe instead of asking you a stupid question, like, do you think this is the new normal, which is impossible. It's not going to be, but what things from the pandemic do you think, or maybe hope will carry forward into the future Uh, and by future I don't mean like 12 the next 12 months I'm like next 12 years so so Kimberly and I were talking uh just yesterday and I looked at her because you you know we've had to retool how we do things and and how we do business and and I looked at her and we were thinking the same exact thing but she was actually the one who said it she said this is the best worst thing that ever happened to us (laughs) 
I emailed or I texted Zach, Zach Phillips, and I said, this would be a great breakfast session. The best, worst thing that ever happened to you. So it, it's um, really changed everything. It's changed. I mean, I went with it and I look at it. I don't, you know, we're, we're, we're in California. It's like surfing, you know, you go out there, you, you see a wave. You're like, I'm going to catch that wave. And it goes. And then this other huge monster wave comes in and you're like, well, you're, well, this one, we got caught up in it and, and, but you got to ride that wave and it has been just up and down and crazy, but I've got to say it's the best ride I've ever been on. And I know people think I'm nuts for saying this, but it really has been the best worst thing that has ever happened to us. And it's changed everything, the, the way we do everything. It's changed how we projected our business, where our business is going in the future, um, how we're planning things, our, our disaster relief plan, which I actually had to implement for the, I mean, I, Kimberly knows I've had it in place for 20 years and this is the first time I've ever had to have it happen. I just didn't think it was going to happen so quickly and, and all of the pieces were in place. So just everything clicked in the way it was supposed to, which is the way you have a disaster plan. And then now it's a part of rebuilding. And I, and I, you know, you always think if I had to do it all over again, would I do things differently? And here we are in a position where we can do it all over again. So mm -hmm. how do we want to rebuild our business? Um, are we going to do it the same way? I don't want to go back to the old normal. It is a new normal and it's going to be great. It's I love that though. attitude. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. that is something. Give me some of that fire. That's excellent. <laughs> a lot of good things. Well, I, I feel of, so, so bad that in Canada, your situation is so different. I, I just like want to express like solidarity with you, man. I, like I hear you talking about it and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm I'm genuinely so sorry. For, yeah. for, it, it sounds I feel guilty being like, oh, the mask mandate's off here and we can party. And you're like, they're shutting us down. And yeah. yeah. I, I just oh. It's like resonates just going to be a, a Nan legend that just burned brightly. I'll remember that place. And that guy that just came on the scene for like two years and then they disappeared. Let's take all his ideas. You're, but you're uh, yeah, to, to let that happen. You'll find a way. I have no yeah. doubt, but well, I appreciate thing, it. yeah. And you know what, what you were just talking about Robin with the idea of like, everything's changed. I think societally, we have all these structures in place and things feel so solid, you know, normal, what normal is. And we're talking about normal right now and it feels very solid. And then you have some sort of disruptive force on this global scale that melts the whole mass. And so now everything that used to be locked in and that's just the way you do things, it's fluid and you can move stuff around with way less resistance than normal. And, you know, when it returns to the new normal, what that is, is just going to be things kind of like locking back in because we have to have something solid to walk on. Like we as human beings, we, we have to kind of know, we like to have that sense of security and stability that comes with knowing how things are going to be. And so we will return to whatever new normal. And I, I get it, Donovan, don't hit me. Um, but like the, the idea that it will solidify again, but we have this unique, like possibly once in a lifetime opportunity to make changes. And I mean, the adoption of Zoom like overnight is a perfect example of like, okay, well, everything just melted and things that were really far apart now, we can just like slide them together because there's nothing in between them anymore. It's just completely vacuous and we can just do that. And so Michael, you mentioned this too. Like, I think the, the greatest um, threat is like not learning from this as a 
you know, as each one of us as individual business leaders and for our team's sake, but then also just culturally, societally, like what can we take away from this? Because we all know like the news cycle has less of an attention span than a goldfish and whatever the next cycle brings along, we're just going to forget. We have that propensity, like especially pain, you know, trauma. We just want to look the other way. We don't want to revisit that and actually assign meaning to it and process it and learn from it because that's hard work. I would much rather mm. watch a video of a cat stuck on a fan on YouTube, you know, and that's what that video. Better. Let's take <laughs> a break and watch that real quick. But, you know, I think the, the zoom thing is one takeaway, like, you know, Michael, you mentioned this, but having that as an added benefit to, uh, you don't have to cancel your lesson. You can actually mm -hmm. still have your lesson. If you're just a little under the weather, you can still play guitar, but we don't want your germs. Or you have the stomach bug. Like nobody wants to be around you, but you're completely capable of doing a music lesson. Um, or like transportation issues, multiple kids, that kind of thing. One of the things that we saw, um, so we have a nonprofit that we operate and it um, provides scholarships to families that qualify for financial assistance. And so those families, there were more connectivity and device issues in that population as well than we had in our in our other communities. And so we lost a lot of students in, in the nonprofit um, because they just couldn't do it. But at the same time, like I teach there on, on Mondays and my students ended up online and they stayed online longer than my other students because it was really convenient for them to not have to get in the car and drive across town or they've got two kids and they've now got somebody living with them because somebody had to move in because they can't live in where they used to live. There's just a whole different set of issues. But the really great news with the nonprofit is we, I don't even know, we got in a newsletter at one of the charter schools in that community and have like, I mean, it's a small group. I mean, we had maybe 20 students um, in that program, but over the course of two months, it's more than doubled. We're up to almost 50 students that are doing scholarship lessons with us. And, you know, because the price isn't an issue, like we still charge them, but it's a very nominal fee. It's subsidized like almost 90%. Um, so they're paying like 10 bucks a month. It's like 250 a lesson, you know, they are signing up like crazy. And we just added voice, which we've been trying to get a voice teacher. We finally got voice and like, the cool thing to see is half of the students like added voice. They're like, well, I've been wanting to do voice and I was doing piano, but I'm going to add voice now. And so, you know, our, our privileged, like, you know, we're paying for this out of like our extra money that we have students. It's like one of many things for them. Music is, you know, it's like, well, I've got lacrosse and I've got chess club and I've got my math tutor. I've got my guitar lesson. I've got, you know, and they just have a long list. And yeah. those are the families that we have a hard time getting them to practice, getting them like the retention rates are lower. Are you going to do the recital? Well, I've got a baseball tournament that weekend. Not sure yet. But then our students at the nonprofit location, their list is much shorter of the opportunities that they have and of the extracurricular things that they get to do. And so when we give them another opportunity and say like, hey, you could take two lessons a week if you want to, they're like, yes. We want to do that. And actually, my brother wants to start, too. And my dad. Like, we have a lot of adults there now, too. They're like, do y'all teach adults? And I don't know if y'all get this, too, but, like, adults are way more scared than kids are. They're like, do y'all, like, they're like, hey, do y'all teach adults? Like, they don't want anybody <laughs> to know that they're thinking about it. And um, But when you say yes, and we put it on our website, we're like, hey, we need to normalize adults taking music lessons because it it's good. It's just good for you. So anyway, that's been just like a silver lining thing for us just in the last couple of months is as we reopened and hired some new teachers for the nonprofit, it's been like the best kind of growth that we've ever had there. It's always been a struggle to kind of get good people in there. We just had a recital. 
Mm. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> in person? Because she actually yes. I was like, oh, so, nobody's going to show up. Amazing. So we, oh, we do, we do um, two recitals a year usually, and one of them is actually at the Museum of Making Music, which we haven't been able to do, but um, we do a coffee house recital at a local uh, community coffee shop. And so everything, mm. and it's an outdoor setting. So it was a perfect, I think, return to normal. Yeah. <laughs> and um, actually, it was really interesting because we've been doing it for 25 years now, but I would say it's probably the largest turnout we have ever had for any of our, our coffeehouse recitals ever. It's like an open house style. We tell people to come anytime between like 10 and 2. They just show up, they play what they want, they sign up, they wear what they want, they get tip money. It's like, very cool. And I have never seen so much standing room only into the parking lot. And all the parents kept coming up to me and hugging me and thanking us for doing it in person. And it was just a very emotional and sort of cathartic experience that everyone just was so they felt like they said this feels normal. Thank you for doing something that feels normal. So we refused yeah. to adopt the virtual recital. We just didn't. We just we just couldn't do it. It wasn't true yeah. to us. So. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I think a lot of it depends on the, the time period too, right? Like it's been going on so long here in Canada that we had no choice but to do virtual recitals because we can't, you know, you're going to go a right. year and a half without a single opportunity for these kids. They're going to drop, you know, mm -hmm. there's just not, they're used to getting in the studio every three months, having their recital once or twice a year in a venue, having that massive rock concert we do once a year. And now we're going to go two summers without that. So all the things that like bring us together as a community are gone. And I think that's been the struggle too, not only with the students, but with the staff was normally like trying to maintain company culture and keep everybody together when all of a sudden nobody sees anybody. Um, as I thought, I think it has been kind of like a unique struggle too, but um, going back to your question about what I hope uh, stays um, as well as a new opportunity has come up. I mean, at this point now we have teachers who are in other cities and students who are in other cities. Uh, who are teaching for us. We would have never done something like that. Um, we've had a couple of teachers who had to move or decided to move back home to be closer to family, but there was no reason they couldn't keep working for us and keep teaching their students. And a few students who had to do the same moved to other cities who wanted to be closer to family, but they kept their lessons. So normally we would lose those people. We've been able to keep them. And I think they'll stay even when we do have the return. So, I mean, that would be an example of something that, you know, I do hope sticks. And just a policy around working sick like before it would be you had to be nearly dead not to come into work and which is that's not a good strategy i mean i don't know about you guys but i think we've had something like 36 flu cases apparently in the entire country this flu season just 36 which is bonkers it does out of 35 million people or something so you know we figured out the best treatment for the flu <laughs> as far as like that's ever been done so uh, but I think a big piece of that is not having people go into work sick all the time. And we'll keep adopting that. You know, uh, if you're sick, just don't come in. And I think if we can continue to have support for like either whether it's sick pay or whatever it is to keep people home when they're not feeling well and otherwise incentivize a healthy lifestyle, uh, then I think a lot of this can end up being a benefit uh, moving forward. But uh, yeah, that's my yeah. thing that I was hoping would carry forward. I, a year ago, December, I had gotten into this YouTube rabbit hole of watching a year of, and a life of various Japanese uh, occupations. 
and and types of people. It's really fascinating uh, uh, thing to watch. And and one of it, they were kind of describing a little bit about Japanese culture, and they were explaining why they wear masks. And and like most people at that point, I mean, so remember this is like December 2019. Um, I had always seen the videos of like people in Japan wearing masks, and I just assumed they were like germaphobes or whatever. But the guy went on to explain that like some people do that because they're germaphobes, but most of the time it's because they're trying to keep uh, whatever germs they have to themselves and that Mm -hmm. they may be out and about and not feeling well. And of course, in Japan, unlike the United States, there's uh, a deep, vast reverence and care for your fellow citizen, whereas here for our fellow citizens, we're like, I've got you something right here. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of how we seem to do it here, unfortunately, but uh, they, they actually care for uh, their, their people next to them. And so they wear a mask for that. And I remember at the time thinking like, God, man, that would be amazing if that would happen in this country, that if you had to venture out uh, to go to the doctor's office and you were ill, or you had to go refill a prescription or go to the grocery store, whatever reason. And of course you'd hope that you would stay home, but sometimes that's just not an option. Maybe you, you're mm-hmm. single, you live alone or whatever, and you must go out to get toilet paper or whatever. Boy, wouldn't it be great if people would wear a mask, but I thought that, that'll just never happen here. Like you, you just will not wear a mask and go to Walmart or to target. Like that's not going to be a thing. And then of course, four months later, here it comes. And so my hope is that this continues that I like Michael, I hope that if people are ill, they stay home if possible, but sometimes that's just not uh, realistic or possible and you have to get out. And if that's the case that we will remain masked for the future, like they do in some other countries, I think that that would be a silver lining to, because even if you're not spreading COVID, like you just may have a cold. Well, man, colds suck. Like I had a cold a couple of weeks ago. I had it for two weeks. Like it was not fun. Like I was able to function and stuff, but it sucked. Like it wasn't a good time. I don't want to do it again. So you know, if someone would just wear a mask and keep me from having that, perfect. Like that's <laughs> that's what I would like. So yeah, uh, it's just anyway. that built-in social consideration uh, that they just have in their society uh, that we didn't have. And you yeah. know, will it stay? Like, yeah, I mean, the the better hygiene practices, I think that's a good thing. I don't know how often I washed my hands in a day, but it wasn't forty-eight uh, like it is <laughs> now. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love so it. some of I these things it. like you know will we be healthier will we pay more attention to foods that you know boost our immune system or whatever it is just or having more money in the bank so that we have a burn rate to take on something like this both personally and as businesses if something like this happens you know you're not uh, you go a month taking a hit to your revenue uh, yeah. to your cash flow in that way and you can survive it but I mean, we've, we have a society that in, and a banking system and an economy that incentivizes borrowing, you know, it does not incentivize, incentivize savings in that sense. And uh, we were ripe for something like this to come in. Like it was the ultimate pin that kind of pricked all the bubbles. And unfortunately, the answer has just been, you know, cheaper interest rates, cheaper money, more money. And it's like, we need more credit. Like we need a hole in the head. And what's the government handing yeah. us out more loans? That was the problem, <laughs> you know, is, yeah. you know, in our case, we had just put our biggest investment into a second location um, and it didn't make it a year before this pandemic hit, you know, it's still, uh, we still got it. I'm sitting in it right now, but uh, you know, those sorts of things, because that's just the way things were. And that's, what's been incentivized. And I don't see any of that changing there's no the rhetoric around that or what was wrong with it or why, how it made us fragile or more susceptible uh, to more damage that isn't really changing. Those are the types of things that kind of concern me. But I hope that uh, we needed to have a bigger talk. I think about like at scale 
about our personal health and our financial health. I hope that's what this triggers, because like you said, whether it's the mask adoption or whatever it is, a worldwide pandemic is a hell of a way to get people talking. It's just, will we get people talking about the right things and in the right ways? That's to be seen, I think. Yeah, I think hopefully we're, we're, we're winding up the, uh, the illness part of it. But now mm-hmm. we're going to enter into a, a very wild and unknown period of uh, uh, financial instability. Over the last 12 months, 35% of all money in the U.S. that's been printed uh, in our history has been printed in the last 12 months. So that's going to have some effects that are, uh, at this point, hard to measure. And um, But that being said, last couple of questions as we sort of wrap this up, tell me about how you're feeling about the future, not just like for the, like in general, but specifically for your business. How do you, feel? are you bullish on the future? Uh, do, you, do you feel like, you know, great things are, are ahead? Like you feel great? Are you very concerned? Tell me kind of each of you, like what your, what your thoughts are for your business specifically uh, in the coming, you know, 12 to 24 months. You know, I, I had read somewhere once that uh, you can make money in the building of a civilization and the destruction of a civilization. And there's always more money to be made in the destruction of a civilization. Now, I'm not saying we're being destroyed. That's an opinion thing. But, yeah, <laughs> this is getting dark, but go ahead. Can you guess where I'm sitting on that debate? <laughs> um, but, the, but the bottom line basically is you can make money in any market. Okay, you just mm-hmm. have to find the way to do it. Um, and this has, you know, you, you heard me talking before, this has given us actually new opportunities because change gives you an opportunity if you can see it and you can grab it. So as far as the next 12 months for us personally, it, it's going to be fantastic. We are so optimistic and you can feel the vibe in the store and it's, it's, it's just off the charts. We've got a lot of things going because COVID gave us the time to to scale back, um, lose some dead weight, think about where we're going, change how we're doing things, take on new challenges. And and we did it. And then now the, the old stuff is coming back. Kimberly and I are a little little overwhelmed because we have our new stuff. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna do the old stuff and the new stuff. I know. I can't I we're I'm having difficulties finding employees. I don't know about you guys. But. Yeah, yeah. But you know, at the same time, we don't want to have new employees because because <laughs> when as soon as we let go of all the employees, we're like, wow, this is so much easier without employees. <laughs> we automated a lot of things. We automated a lot of things that have made our lives a lot easier. And those yeah. things were, those things were already kind of in the works, but this just kind of accelerated everything's everything for us five years into the future. So we really feel like we kind of took a leap five years forward and it's been fantastic. So we're feeling extremely optimistic about where things are going uh, just because, I mean, I'm a change junkie. I love it. And whenever I see change happening, I think about how, how we're going to be able to incorporate that or use it or, you know, make money from it. We had a um, group discussion on Monday. We try to, I try to pull in some sort of quote that'll just have a, brainstorming or creative conversation around whatever the topic happens to be that week. And um, I pulled the Socrates quote that says, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And you talked about you love change. 
And we just kind of made a list that's behind me right here is like the black stuff is like fighting the old. What are we doing that's fighting, you know, it feels like we're just spinning our wheels or putting energy into something that doesn't move us forward. And then what are some ideas that would be building the new? And like, how can we, you know, if we adopt Socrates's thinking and he seems like a good one to adopt, like, okay, put uh, all of your energy into building the new instead of like, you know, and you can apply that in any kind of department of your business, like HR, it's like, okay, we've got this employee who's not working out. We just keep having these conversations. It's like, you're fighting the old. Let's put our energy towards building the new, like let's invest in a new team member and let that person go because it's just not, we're not moving in the same direction. And so why do we mm -hmm. keep fighting the old? Or if it's like an operational thing, it's like, okay, this system that we have, gosh, it's slow, it's clunky. It's like, we're trying to constantly work with the software people or whatever. And it's like, okay, what if we put our energy instead of incrementally improving something that's not working great, like getting a new system. You know, work is like a, a gas. It will expand to fill the space that it's given. And, you know, your energy is limited, our time is limited. And so what are we putting our best time and energy and people on? And is it fighting the old? Is it just working and getting stuff done? Or is it actually building something new that has value to our customer and to society and our community? Um, and that's been an opportunity for us. Like as we kind of look forward, we see this fall as being really big, um, potentially, uh, all signs point towards that. Uh, we have had in my mind what's going on and this is all conjecture, but every year there's new seven year olds, you know, and I'm just picking seven as a random arbitrary age, but new seven year olds who turn seven, whose parents go, now's the time to start music lessons. And all of those people who turned seven or whatever that age was for their family in the last year, not all of them signed up for music lessons. Many of them said, you know what, we're going to wait till next year. And so now this year, in my estimation, all of those people who are turning seven or whatever the age is going into fall of 2021, spring 2022, they're signing up for music lessons for the first time. Plus all the people who are now eight that didn't sign up last year are going to be joining them. And so, I have a sense that that's going to be the case this fall. And part of that is built upon our summer camp registration numbers being bonkers, absolutely sold out with waiting lists. And we've never had that before. Usually, awesome. I mean, we have a couple of ones that sell out typically, but some of our locations are newer and they don't have the student base and the reach to really sell out. And part of that I have to admit is that we limited the sizes. So that was easier to sell them out, but we actually had conversations with our staff as you know, the vaccine rollout came, we're like, hey, you know, things seem to be pretty good here right now. The transmission rate is really low. The number of cases is really low. Hospitalizations are down 90% since January here. Can we do 25 instead of 20? Okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. So we've actually increased our capacity back to what it was. And we still have a waiting list on 12 camps, except for one. And so, I mean, normally, just to give you like, and I, I mean, we're 50% uh, oversold compared to last year. Um, so like normally we would hope to get 200 kids in camps over the course of the summer. And we have like 330 something people who signed up and, you know, 60 or 70 of them are on a waiting list. And so to us, that means in the conversations we're having, people are calling, they're like, Hey, we're on the waiting list. Like how likely is it that we're going to get in? We really want this for our kids. And it's not just daycare. It's people who are like, they didn't get to start music and we really want them to get started with music. And so we're going to capitalize on those waiting list people and say, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to get into camp, but we have a spot on th Thursdays at 3.30 with a great teacher who has availability because COVID. <laughs> so uh, I think for us in our community, this fall is going to be really, really good. 
Um, but a lot of that depends on some of those global things like Michael, you're talking about inflation and how are we paying all this money back? If the economy crashes, well, none of that matters, you know, mm -hmm. how, how much we invested in our customer relationships during the pandemic. If people have money to spend on things like music lessons, then. That was definitely one of my concerns is with how long this would stretch out as what would be the financial implications. Like say by the time restrictions are lifted, has our general market sort of been, at least in our local area, been decimated financially to the point where they're just cutting things out of their budget, they're cutting extracurriculars, and will be victim of one of those things. Uh, so far, that hasn't been really the case, because we have big wait lists, the demand is there. So that's extremely encouraging. So if, if we make it long enough, as far as getting past the point where restrictions are lifted, then I think we're good. You know, if we can make it out of this year, I think, I think then, yeah, we'll have a big boost. It'll be a spike probably like we've never seen prior to, but that's not a spike from where our previous highs were and going up. This is simply a recovery effort still, mm -hmm. right? Like we have to make up the years of lost ground that have happened. Um, now, I think that that will, that will happen in a relatively short time once it's allowed to happen. That's where we still have that barrier is when are we going to be allowed to actually capture that recovery? How long does that go on for? And then where are people at financially when it is finally allowed? So, because we won't do, we won't have like a live performance opportunity in 2000, until 2022, almost for sure uh, wow. at this point. So, and I mean, we're a place of change. Like we, <clears throat> we, you know, we're kind of the agents of our own change constantly adding new things and pushing new programs and doing new shows and whatever we can come up with. And when this first hit, we, I think we started like four or five different productions for live streams that we were doing on a week, weekly basis to try to be supplementing with content however we could to keep people engaged. Um, but that just was one thing that, you know, you couldn't sustain it for ongoing. It was something we did for the summer. And then once we had kind of opened back in person and things started to tick back up, uh, but then it was just like, you know, a ceiling was kind of placed that we just can't break through as far as because yeah. it just, I'll be tossed in jail, you know? <laughs> You got to recognize when you're swimming against the current, you know, yeah. like it's at some point, it's just going to sap all your energy and you're going to drown. So that you're better yeah, off a, to, to turn around and swim with the current and, and come up with a new strategy. It's a weird thing because in a sense, like you're the longer it goes on for, say, the deeper the hole goes, the, the better you need to be in your recovery as far as your energy and your efforts and your ideas. But the longer it goes, the more beat up and exhausted you are. So the less energy you do have. So it's just... <laughs> It's just a really weird trend that you're kind of that you're kind of fighting in that sense. I do agree that the, whenever we can do that next concert, it'll be the best we've ever done. The emotional like energy that will surround anything back to in person will be like nothing ever before, and we'll be able to lean heavily into that as far as marketing and drawing in new students and just the overall experience for everybody when we can have those staff parties again and have big recording sessions again. Uh, it's just making it to that point. So there will be an appreciation for what we do more so than there ever has been. Like we always say mm -hmm. our happiest, our happiest students are the ones that went somewhere else first, not the mm -hmm. ones who came to us first, because it's something to compare it to as far as like all the extra stuff that they've gotten. And I think everyone has sort of gotten that effect at scale now where all the things that they were used to getting were kind of gone. So in a way, we, everybody was kind of placed on a leveling play, level playing field because we were only able to offer realistically kind of the same service you know right um so as soon as we can bring all that stuff back i think there'll be a level of gratitude for it appreciation and a draw that we've never had previous it's just making it to that point so if we get to that point which obviously i have every intention on doing and hope that we do 
uh, then I think there'll be that explosion. Now, will it continue and, and go beyond that uh, is yet to be seen. So the, it's just, I think you have to take those sorts of things and leverage them as best you can. And that's obviously what we're, uh, what we're going to try and do. That's exactly right. Yeah. With our team, we were, you know, each of you uh, talked about change and embracing change. And one of the things that we're getting into with our leadership team is uh, using uh, Colby testing, which Col- uh, if you're not familiar with Colby, Colby is basically cognitive testing. Uh, so it's not a personality test or anything like that. It tests basically like how you like to work, how you like to uh, interact with the world around you. And they are essentially testing four different factors. One of the factors is this thing they call quick start, which basically is just measuring how readily you accept new ideas and will take the risk of a new idea and move forward. So I, I, I guess uh, I'm a high quick start. And my guess is Robin likely is as well. Robin, have you ever taken a Colby test? Um, no, but I can say um, I've taken a lot of other tests and I can say that I'm not crazy. you might look at the validity of those tests anyway uh so i'm not sure i can say the same but uh yeah so but uh, where i'm going with this is this is that with the uh the one of the beautiful things about colby is it's not like if you're good at something or not it's everything's on a continuum and so if if you're a high quick start so I'm, i'm a high quick start uh, that means that I just quickly embrace change. I, I like I, I get energized by it. I, I love the idea of new things and, and trying new things. And I have a high tolerance for risk for change. And so I'm always looking to adapt those things. And then if you have a, a, a low score for quick start, that actually means you tend to be very protective of systems. So like you kind of like, hey, this is I want things to stay the way they are. And in a healthy organization, you actually have a blend of both, but you have a, 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 you, a cognitive understanding of both because you get to a time where it's like, okay, the way things are right now, we've got this set up. This is good. Maintain this system. Now we need this maintained. We don't need it jacked with, we just need it like this needs to be done the whole time. And that person who has that lower quick start score, that's when they really excel. And then us high quick starts are at the time when like things are changing around us and going, oh shoot, it's time to pivot or time to adapt, like that's kind of where we excel. And so for us, we found like I've found you looking at Colby and kind of seeing uh, where our people rate on that very helpful. Cause for me, as someone who's a high quick start, uh, many of the other people in my leadership team are actually low quick starts. And without knowing before we knew all this stuff, we actually just had a lot of friction against each other. And, uh, and I often felt underappreciated and they often felt exacerbated and it was just very frustrating and now that we've gone through this, um, I don't know, they may still feel frustrated. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, but at, least, at least there's a better understanding of how we see and approach things. And I hope more of an appreciation for it so we can use each other's skill set wisely. So uh, anyway, just I, and Will, I love that quote that you had. That's such, that's such a great quote you and would. such a great idea of. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, but such a great idea for your meetings to have like a theme or I really that's yeah, that's that's a great takeaway for me. I was just going to say just definitely with the acceleration of things. I know Robin said like five years in the future. What's I think been great about this is it actually it, in an interesting way has brought us all together more in situations like this with Zoom calls and and whatnot. I know Nam did a whole ton of webinars and roundtables and things like that. And those are things that we weren't doing before. So, there, you know, it's been nice to sort of talk to our friends across the other states and countries and just figure out what what everyone's doing we're all in the same boat right so it's Mm -hmm. nice to Mm -hmm. be able to figure out what everybody else is doing and learn from one another so I have appreciated that aspect 
of Zoom this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's great to hear, like, I'm nothing but encouraged to hear that, like, you guys are ha- having your recoveries or getting back to where you, you were at and, and beyond that, uh, because it should mean that it's going to trickle up. I guess, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> you know, uh, in that sense, because uh, that directs a lot of what the rhetoric ends up being up here, you know, too. Um, so, so that's awesome. You know, the last thing you want to hear is sort of doom and gloom from everybody that, uh, that oh, there's nothing's moving forward. Nothing is progressing. And I mean, if I think we all kind of thought about the fact of, you know, music apps were or music learning apps were really coming on the scene. Um, major manufacturers getting into that, a lot of online coming up and whether, you know, that's the pivot, that's the future is online learning. And we've really been able to see that again, like at scale over the last year to see where people place value in online and where they place value in the in-person experience. And there's no doubt that people value the in-person experience over online at the end of the day, especially for their kids. And this is great clarity for that and for our industry and our businesses as far as future-proofing and worried that we're going to be replaced by some learning app or by some online learning app. And there's no way um, because it it would have happened this last year and uh, that people just wanted to go away from it. Now, maybe that was because they got overwhelmed with everything being online, but regardless, I think it tired people out from it. And that's, you know, having that in-person service, that in-person connection that we all do is vastly important. I think online is a nice supplement, but it's, not necessarily the focus or the way to, to move. Yeah. So I, I'm very encouraged by that because I mean, for those first few months, uh, you know, where it's like, okay, yeah, we lost a, you know, a chunk of students who can't do online or whatever it is. I was like, and I'm looking at how much, you know, I pay in rent for uh, or our lease payments for our spaces. And I'm like, well, I get rid of those spaces. I offset that suddenly we're profitable again. Is this just the switch we should make? And just say mm-hmm. goodbye to the to the in-person and just do online lessons. Like I said, it's not doing events, not doing all this stuff. It's a hell of a lot less work. Uh, and in a sense, it was a, a bit of a silver lining being that we had just had a kid because I didn't have all these things going on. So in a way, personally, I got a bit of a break, uh, but it didn't feel like it because, you know, I sort of derived my fulfillment and happiness off of that from others within our community and our organization. So knowing they weren't getting what they normally deserve is what kind of would bog me down in that sense. But I think, uh, yeah, we've just seen in a big picture, the value to the service that we provide uh, to anybody in all ages. So I think that is really, really encouraging getting that clarity for our industry uh, moving forward and future proofing it, knowing that some things can change, but there's other stuff that, you know, the good old in-person maybe is here to stay. At Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they underpromised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600. When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two, you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. 
Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening.